Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Counterfactual Sports here from Studio 133 in sunny and succulent San Francisco, California. I am here with my co-hosts, the gentle boys, Zimmerman. Yo. What's going on? How goes it? Um, leftish, apparently. Leftish. Yeah. Sinistra. He's, I have a sinister child. A sinister yet dashing young man has joined us. Young Xavier is here. He's getting a little sleepy. Yeah, we bore him. We bore him. But hopefully you came here to not be bored because we fascinate you with our less than factual takes on the sporting world. So, Pat, we have a lot to get through today. It's been a little while since we talked to these fair folks. Um... Obviously, the football season is in full swing. We are headed to the money portion of the schedule. Um, about to see, I guess, the bye weeks wrap up this week, so the, the sort of playoff picture will start crystallizing. Um, maybe we'll sneak in a little baseball, too, just because there's been some fun off-season machinations. We have a celebratory grand reopening. We do, we do. and. We might even talk a little food as well, if we can if we can fit that in here. But I think we should start with something that's not fun, but something that we need to talk about. And that is the recent attacks in France that left mm, at least 120 people dead. And we don't really have, I mean, I personally don't have um, insight on this. Uh, from a sort of grander scale. Um, it's obviously one of the most horrific things we've seen, along with the attack across the world, that are going on. Um, but, you know, I just figured we we might as well mention it because there is a sports angle here. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to bring to this discussion, but more than anything, I would feel strange uh, not touching on this. So uh, with, with that rather uh, aimless intro i will i will kick it to you uh, you know shabby's got it about right here uh just sort of eh, it's um yeah it would be i don't think that we can offer that much but it would i would feel weird not acknowledging it um france has had a, a history of some sort of problem integrating conceptualizing um, really knowing quite what to do with its Muslim population since um, dating back actually the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the, the decolonization of Algiers in the 60s, uh, the whole headscarf incidents in the early 2000s. Um, but it, this one is it, kind of hits home a little bit more for, for many of them. Um, the, the scariest thing is that actually from a... Sp- sporting tie-in it could have been a lot worse um three bombers did not get into the stade de france uh and um where germany was playing the soon-to-be host france and uh they will be hosting euro 2016. um francois Hollande, the um the president of france was there it's of the various targets that were hits the one that is the most sort of politically obvious um but that's a Full stadium. I think it holds something like seventy thousand people. Um, yeah, it's really scary. Nigeria actually also suffered a catastrophic attack um, on a school this week. Um, yeah, I mean the the thing that comes to mind 
to me, just just from personal experience, is is nine eleven. I mean, there's no U attack on U.S. soil, you know, since, and certainly nothing even comparable to that um, sort of in the years before, and and at least in my lifetime. And um, you know, you you try to feel some level of empathy for people um, and for for what people have gone through um, in Paris and in Nigeria and in these different places that are under attack. Um, but I think, you know, the most important thing is, is just sort of standing together, uh, in the world, Wh whatever, you know, whatever culture you're from, whatever language you speak, whatever, all of this, um, is just sort of supporting some basic human rights that I think 97% of the world agrees upon regardless of religion and being able to live your life safely without the fear of a random violent attack uh, is chief among those um, and so you know obviously we we feel that solidarity here um, and I think the the other part of that um, is is sort of you know how do you go forward because as much as uh, it's important to talk about what happened and to analyze what happened and to actually take actions to prevent future occurrences of, of similar things. Um, there's an aspect of this too, which is, which is less uh, significant maybe in terms of political ramifications or what have you, but just how does every person, how, do, how does a person living in France, how does a person living in Nigeria uh, get back to not necessarily business as usual, but, but keep, keep their life going um, while still honoring uh, the, the victims of the attack and still being cognizant of potential dangers in the future. Mm -hmm. And I guess we hope that maybe sports can be a part of that. And that was my personal experience with 9-11, and it may have been a little overblown and a little uh, sort of hammed up, uh, but, but it felt, it really did feel like baseball had an interesting role in the U.S. in sort of helping to return us to that normalcy, return um, to return life to its sort of patterns and rhythms that had been going on before uh, the 11th of September 2001, and you know, France, France, and Nigeria hopefully can do the same. And it's it's a very very small piece of the puzzle. I want to really emphasize that. Um, to be honest, who gives a crap about sports? in a moment like this, but maybe it's a time that sports can be more than just, um, more than just something that happens on the weekend and that people wager money on and get way too worked up about and way too drunk about. Maybe it can be something that is partly distraction and partly inspiration, partly uh, sort of something that, that brings people together um, and, and helps them uh, remind themselves why their country is great, why their people is great, why, why you know, why we all sort of as humans are worth keeping alive and cherishing and giving given uh yeah that that's about all i've got but uh that's fair amount any thoughts yeah no i, I probably yeah. was um yeah just in general the, the thing here is to um, try to remember to to be to continue to be the best of yourself um as i guess some people uh france has inspired a very large number of people for a very long time um liberté égalité fraternité is was actually on the side of Wembley Stadium in England uh, for their game yesterday. Uh, that's that's a little weird uh, to see the French 
national motto on the side of the English stadium. But um, most prolonged terrorism or violence, uh, there have been a lot of studies of this, um, does work on what's called an action, reaction, action uh, cycle. Um, the thing is to not overreact to then create an escalated series of actions. Um, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how this evolves and progresses. Um, France is the host of Euro 2016 next summer. Um, I believe the final is going to be at the Stade de France. Uh, they usually are. Um, the uh, UEFA, the European Confederation, has already officially announced that all of its games, uh, the Champions League and the Europa League games this week, will go on. And um, even though a, a Germany versus Holland game uh, was called off on, I believe, Saturday or Sunday, uh, due to a bomb threat in Hanover. Um, so there's a, a real hope that this is it for now, but there's also the possibility that it isn't. The last thing I want to say is just that um, if you believe that people should be able to sort of live their lives peacefully and you believe that conflicts should be resolved through words i know that sounds cheesy but if you believe in stuff like the golden rule sort of that kind of age-old trite wisdom but then when you really break it down and look at the words it, i think it means a lot if you believe in those sorts of things then you really should be standing sort of shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the people in the world that believe that and whether those are Syrian refugees, whether those are people under attack in a Western nation that's a little more identifiable, like France, whether those are people under attack in a country like Nigeria, and I've repeated this a lot because there's been a very big disparity in the coverage of the two attacks in the news. Um, you should stand with the other people that believe that, and I, I said 97% earlier, I don't know, that's probably really high, but I, I like to think that most people in the world um, want that and and then they should be united and i think whoever i mean we sort of know but i don't think it's even worth repeating the name on the podcast but whoever propagated um these shitty horrible attacks um are clearly people who want the world to be divided and who uh their goal is to drive wedges between people and to create a divide based on um distinctions like religion distinctions like geography distinctions like language and handedness handedness sure and those those literally divide us um but they don't have to divide us uh sort of in spirit and so yeah i i think that standing together and when it when it comes to our own country welcoming in people who may need the help i mean this is this is sort of a, a secondary issue that's that's come to light um but you know the refugees of syria have by and large been accepted into lots of parts of Europe. And if, if we sort of feel this empathy towards the people of Paris, um, we should feel that same empathy to anyone who's under attack and anyone who is in need of shelter and support. And so stick together, y'all. That's all I got to say about that. Mr. Walker, don't build that wall. Don't build it. Um, 
And on a completely normal segue, we're going to stick with uh, the calcio. It, and the babies are on the mind. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting right near some, some delightful baby toys. And it's, it's really got me thinking, guys. I mean, you know, I, I'm a bit of a... Bit of, bit of a free spirit and, and not someone who you thought might be ready to settle down, but I've just been looking at things and I, I feel like adoption might be the right option for me. I, I think so, actually. Uh, and you have found the perfect adoptee. I know. I mean, I, I haven't been lucky enough to, to have a beautiful child of my own like you, so I, I had to sort of look look at all the, the, the kids out there and uh, I think the child that I've really settled on is going to be C.S. Lebowski. You come on, be honest. You were only looking at Italy. You're right. You're right. I, I was only looking at Italy, but it's the best place to look, and I think I found someone great. So, Pat, can you explain to the people what the heck I'm talking about? Centro Storico Lebowski is a Italian seventh division soccer team uh, created by a, a, a group of breakoff supporters from Fiorentina uh, about uh, five years ago. 2010. They've worked their way up from the ninth division all the way to the seventh. Um, they are very rare in Italy in that they are a supporter-run club, meaning that anybody who is a season ticket holder gets a vote on on the board of directors. Um, and uh, yes, the Centro Storico Lebowski. Um, the the shield is amazing. It has a beautiful use of negative space of the the dudes shades and. Uh, goatee um I, I only can assume that their fans do abide uh they have a junior team they have a woman's team um who look quite dashing in their in their team profiles and they're all amateurs they do it because they love calcio they love they love, they love soccer because it's fun um their mission is sort of to try to connect players and fans again it, they feel that city AA and big time soccer has gotten way too removed it's become a business it's become um sort of players are celebrities and um they have they have entourages and that's they actually have like team dinners with fans which is kind of awesome it's pretty cool i mean any jersey that has lebowski on it and the dudes like the silhouette like you said of the dude's face that two-tone is I mean it's too cool. I, we got to see if we can order some jerseys here. Oh, absolutely. Um, so we go that cslebowski.it if you want to go see the design. Yeah, check it out. This is our adopted team of the week. Um, they're doing pretty well uh, right now in their uh, in their division. I believe they're four, three, and two right now. It's in the local Florentine, so they're they're in Florence. So they're doing solid, only a, only a plus two goal differential. Ah, third um, place, though. But yeah, they've been winning a lot of close ones. Uh, clearly, the Aglianese is Aglianese, really I knew it. Dominant team in this division. Um, so so they're going to have to look to take down Aglianese, which has that tricky GLI sound in Italian. That's like your tongue sticking to the bottom of your mouth. Aglianese, or sorry, to the roof of your mouth. Um, had to think about that it's one. It's a lot easier to pronounce it if you pinch your your middle and finger and thumb together when saying it. Mm -hmm. It just sort of comes naturally. And sort of gesture enough to knock several uh, pieces of furniture over that would be ideal. But C.S. Lebowski, much better website. Uh, we know already that that gives them an advantage on the field. Uh, better jerseys, so I'm I'm pretty pretty sure they're going to end up uh, challenging those dastardly Ayanese for the top spot. Well, I just want to see him get far enough in the Copa to play a game in like Roma. That would be awesome. 
Let's do it. This is a long-term play. This is a, this is an adoption of a very high upside child here. We also really um, are both in favor of the idea of uh, colored flares importing this into American stadiums. Because baseball, sometimes people think it's a little bit boring to go see a baseball game. We'll set something on fire. That'll, that'll kick it, it up a notch. Yep. Preferably uh, some pork product. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will continue to monitor the progress of Lebowski squad. And, uh, yeah. Forza Lebowski. Forza. Yeah, the colors are cool, too. They're black and silver. They're very flashy. Um, very fly. And, uh, yeah. Got some vertical stripage going on there. I know. It makes me want to go back to Italy just to just to go see my, my kids play. But that that's another pine for another time. Um, let's... Hey, he flies free for another year and ten months. So let's go. Nice. Nice. Yeah, look at him. He's like, I'm flying Let free. Let us hard cut to another kind of football. Really the only other kind of football, I would say. There's the ball John, of your John foot. John, I would disagree, but... Oh, yeah, well... That's not really football. Aussie rules is more like Calvin Ball. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, as much as I love Calvin Ball, it's hard to analyze, you know, without any consistency in the stats. Yeah, the guy's, like, running around, then he has to stop, kick the ball, spin around three times, and bounce it once. I would probably still take Mike zone. Trout with the first pick, but um, it's hard to say. Someone like Altuve might be better at sort of getting through the backyard obstacles given his smaller stature. Yeah, or maybe you need a little bit more heft. Someone like, I don't know, Correa. Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe right. a little more beef on that. A little more power. Joe Springer? In case he needs to break through like a hedge or something. Or, or like a, a person. Or a person or a gate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, well, let's make our way to the National Football League, the No Fun League. Uh, the Not Fly League. The Not Fly League, right, except fly yes when you're throwing the ball because every rule makes it easier to do that however i mean this has been an ugly season i you offense, can make as many rules to uh help the passing game as possible but you can't make the quarterbacks any better you can't and you can't make the offensive lines better and i don't know if we i think we touched on this on a previous episode but i mean one theory that i've heard kicked around is that the sort of lack of off-season uh contact practices has led to some Basically, teams not being on the same page when it comes to scheming. Um, but should that be a problem by week 12, 11, 10? I don't think so. Quarterbacks are dropping left and right because they're getting destroyed. Yeah, literally dropping. I mean, Peyton Manning, you know, the injury surfaces now. We kind of knew he was hurt. Obviously, Romo got knocked out. Rothsburg has come back but was sent out. Um, Luck. Luck is out. Uh, tons of guys have missed time. And some really significant guys have missed time with, with playoff implications. Um, so, maybe it's Tom Brady's yeah. Uggs that help keep him healthy. Maybe just right. The extra warmth on the angles, ankles keeps him limber. Or just a little bit of padding. A little bit of padding. Yeah. Could be. Or all of the calls that go in his favor. Uh, no, no, that's conspiracy. Theory. Yeah, no, that couldn't be it. No. Um, <laughs> let's go to our favorite segment for the NFL. Though Actually, we have many favorite segments, but our favorite personal segment and let's do uh reverse jinx your team so you have... i have it too easy this week i'm gonna let you go first okay okay i'll get it i'll get it started so uh we are going to be visited by the indianapolis colts mm -hmm. and they're the matt hasselbeck's be the matt hasselbeck led indianapolis colts they are still somehow leading the dismal awful dismal afc south um, with a what record? 
Oh, I don't know. What are they? Three and five or four? Four and five. I think that is the one division with not a single team above five hundred. Yeah, I think they're four and five. Yeah, that is accurate. So they're actually tied with the Texans at four and five. Um, one of the teams that we actually beat. Uh, one of the teams that looked like a real win for us. And I'm I'm not confident at all going into this. I don't think the quarterback being Matt Hasselbeck has that much of an effect. First of all, he's not been much worse than Luck this year, and sure, that's hurt Luck, but still, this was a guy who was, you know, the, like, sort of sexy MVP pick coming into the year, and uh, the Colts still have talent on offense. They still have talent on the outside. They have receivers who can break big plays with Moncrief and Hilton, and even their tight ends, uh, Fleener, Allen, can do some of that. Frank Gore has uh, actually been okay recently after a rough start to the season um and but but the real reverse jinx just comes on our side of the ball uh the falcons it's hard to pinpoint a lot of things because it feels like whenever we play a team that's worse than us we play down to their level and if it's a good team we sort of manage to stick with them um but dan quinn after really impressing me at the beginning of the year has been severely disappointing as of late the defense flying around playing max effort thing that didn't last and if you're a great coach you can consistently get more effort out of players than other coaches can week after week is the key not one week not the first game of the season when you come in with a whole off season of excitement and you know team building and all that crap but if anything this is the week to do it but i'm not that optimistic it is coming off a bye that helps um but the defense is just leaves a ton to be desired. Everybody on there, except for our two corners, Trufant and Alford, uh, routinely just make zero impact. Like, there, there are entire games where, like, the D-line or the linebackers will not make a single noteworthy play. Um, the safeties can continue to get torched, and we don't put pressure on quarterbacks. Um, Vic Beasley is a nice addition, but... Uh, he's not everything, and, and Hasselbeck is smart enough, and I think the Colts are smart enough to uh, drop a game plan that lets him make lots of short to intermediate throws, three-step drops, get the ball out, don't get hit. Um, that's what we really should be doing. We should be hitting Matt Hasselbeck after the whistle. I hate to say it because I have a soft spot for the guy, but I don't know who's third on that depth chart. I don't think Curtis Painter's there anymore. <laughs> um, the Manning protege. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, and then on offense, I mean, Devontae Freeman may have turned back into a pumpkin. Um, every team's going to double-team Julio, and so what's going to step up? Is Levine Toilolo going to be a serviceable tight end? Doesn't look like it. Um, you know, I've been excited that the young receiver, Justin Hardy, who we drafted, has been getting involved. Um, so so he's, he's the one chance if he can explode because Roddy doesn't look... Um, Roddy's just old. He's just a shell of himself, and, and Leonard Hankerson is Leonard Hankerson. So that that is all the reasons why we are going to lose 21 to 10 at home to the Hasselbeck-led Indianapolis Colts, and I will smash a beer glass against the ball. Wow. When did you become me? Um, how long you got? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you'll beat the Colts, but the Dan Quinn... I, I still hold out hope that he's a good coach, that he's the right coach, um, but some of the decision-making at least two weeks ago against the Niners was pretty poor. Um, like, the decision to kick it down in the fourth quarter, down by 
four, was it? Yeah. yeah, down by four, and then they never got the ball back, which is unsurprising. Yeah, so actually, yeah, no, I'm glad you reminded me of that, because it's not just his defensive scheme that's been disappointing, it's been his in-game decision-making um, that I was hoping I would see a bit of an improvement on, um, but I haven't. It's, it's like Mike Smith all over again, making uber-conservative decisions, um, not being demonstrably above average at clock management, um, not seemingly being able to, to really rally the team in a second half. Um, and you got to win games like this if you want to make the playoffs. Like, we already lost two terrible games in a row um, versus the Buccaneers. That was a brutal one. And then losing at Blaine Gabbert um, is un unmentionable, unforgivable, um, and not unimpeachable. It's impeachable. But, you know, this game against the Colts, there's not many uh, super easy games left. You know, we still have both games against the Panthers. Um, and we, we really need to, we don't have to do great to, to make the playoffs. We, we need to go, um, probably go four and two, uh, sorry, four and three over the next seven games. Yeah, like they got that's, both Panthers games, they got the Vikes. Uh, it's at home, though. They don't have a real tough schedule, but, like, leading up to this point, who... Who have they beaten that would actually impress you? Between no one. Giants, injured Cowboys. Or that was the game Romo got hurt, right? Uh, yeah. Him, yeah, he was out. He yeah. was out for that game. Texans. Um, yeah, I mean, stands. the Giants might look like the most impressive one, but we basically played terrible for three quarters. I mean, we've got to beat the Colts, the Buccaneers, the Jaguars, the Saints, because I don't know how we're going to beat the Panthers even in that home game. And uh, the Vikings is a very tough game, although it is at home. So that enough about the Falcons. Uh, the Niners travel to Seattle to face a furious Seahawks team who lost actually a game where they, they might have played their best game of the year against Arizona uh, this past week. Mm -hmm. But they're fired up because they lost that game. They're they home. are in danger of missing the playoffs, even though you know they only have to pass us. But they are 4-5, and five, and you, you can't lose too many more if you have a chance at this. Uh, ten and six is on most years like half the teams that go ten and six get in. So they basically can afford one more loss. If they hit yeah. two at uh, nine and seven, it's hard to get in the playoffs at nine and seven. Very hard. So why are the Niners? I mean, this feels silly to ask, but why are the Niners led by Blaine Gabbert going, going to, to lose, lose in Seattle? In Seattle, why aren't they going to lose in Seattle? Uh, they can't run the ball. They're trying. I mean, I could probably walk down to Santa Clara and get a tryout at running back right now. Um, they. Blaine Gabbert is a good reason right there. Uh, the defense, uh, sure, Navarro Bowman looked great uh, against um, Devontae Freeman. But everyone is saying, hey, Bowman's fully healthy finally. I need to see a couple more games to be convinced that that's actually true. And even if it is, this Niners team has always been very easy to pass the ball on. Um, e even under some of their better teams, the passing defense was, was their weakness, particularly if they couldn't get to the quarterback fast enough, which they still can't. Um, I mean, they're just all around a bad team. And uh, going into Seattle, even if Seattle drops a fat egg, I can't really see them losing to the Niners at home. No, that's not happening. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Both of us will face undue heartbreak this weekend, unless the gods see fit to turn the world on its head. Which has happened multiple times this season. You're right. Um, with no further ado and without... Any more circumstance and or pomp. Cue up, Miss Cindy Lauper. Little bit of pomp. But I see your true colors shine.
<laughs> a little bit of pomp. A little bit of pomp. Welcome to our True Colors Games of the Week. Uh, we've got two pretty tasty ones for you. We've got Cincy at Arizona. Uh, the, the Red Rifle visits the Red Tomatoes. And uh, the team formerly known as the Green Bay Packers at Minnesota. Yeah, so why don't you get us started, Pat? We got uh, the Bengals fresh off their loss um, against the lowly Texans, uh, visiting Arizona Cardinals, who just impressed week in and week out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Cardinals do have home field here. Uh, both teams are very likely going to be in the playoffs. The Cardinals have a three-game lead in their division since he has a two-and-a-half-game a two and a half game lead. Um, so this is much more, I would say, about... Um, them showing their true colors as are, are you a Super Bowl contender? Because we, we know both these teams are talented enough to be playoff teams. So both these teams, what do you see shaking out here? in the rest of the way and be playoff teams? Um, yeah, no, I see. I see Arizona holding serve at home. Um, the real question to me is actually Andy Dalton because he he looked like the old bad Andy Dalton last week against Houston of all teams. Um, is that a blip? I mean, he could come out and, and all of a sudden fire it up again this uh, this year. Um, or sorry, this week. Uh, I, I think this is a bit more on Cincy coming off of that loss than it is off of Arizona coming off of a, um, a win that probably locked the division down for them. I mean, 6-3 and three over 5-5 five and five, or 5-4, and four, which is what it would have been had they lost. They now have a several-game lead on Seattle. They're seven and two, actually. No, no, they would have been six and three. Sure. Uh, had had they lost, they would have been six and three, and Seattle would have been five and four. Sure. Which it, then it's just one more game with another game to play between them. It's kind of up in the air. Things could go wrong. It's seven and two against four and five over both St. Louis and Seattle. That's that they basically have the division. But so so, what do you need to see out of the Cardinals that convinces you they are a Super Bowl contender? I need to see Carson Palmer not break for a full season. Yeah, but what do you need to see on Sunday? Because <laughs> that's what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. What do I need to see on Sunday? Um, I need to see if they can um, basically just consist. Uh, honestly, I don't need to see a whole lot out of them. I kind of already am convinced. Uh, Bruce Arians might be the best coach in the Western in the NFC. Um, I, I, it's an interesting debate between who would you take him or Riverboat Ron right now. They're both looking pretty sexy. Uh, Riverboat Ron with the, the great. The great convert, convert from ultra conservative to rolling the dice, and to have shepherded Cam Newton into his awesome Supermanness. Yeah, no, I think this is really more of a show me your true colors, Cincinnati, than it is Arizona, because Arizona has almost—they obviously haven't had the perfect season. They're seven and two, but based on your expectations going into the season, they are having the season that everyone in Arizona hoped they would have, not that they expected they would have. Uh, they were like, okay, let's, we're, we, we should be a playoff team. Um, let's give Seattle a run for their money for the division. They're running away with it. Mm. So it's, it would be really hard short of a total meltdown for me for Arizona to, to not convince me that they're a contender right now. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it would still be an impressive win for them, but uh, definitely, definitely, you know, since he's got something to prove after, uh, after dropping, laying such an egg on national TV. So I'm going to talk about uh, the Packers going into Minnesota uh, as the second team. They're going into Minnesota, trailing the Vikings in the NFC North, which uh, I don't think anyone had predicted that at the beginning of the season. Or three weeks ago. Um, the, the Packers have looked really bad. Uh, they've lost three games in a row. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers hasn't looked great. The whole offense hasn't looked great, though. The receivers, uh, we just sort of assumed, I think, uh, speaking gen generally for every single human in the world, that Aaron Rodgers would get it done, no matter who the receivers were. I mean, I truly believe that, no matter who the running backs were, the receivers, the tight ends. Obviously, any quarterback needs some level of protection. I don't think anybody thought that Jordy Nelson would be that missed. They're like, oh, Rodgers will find somebody else. Right, but they don't have they don't have that guy. They don't have no one has stepped up. Devontae Adams has been a huge disappointment. Um, I think he got like twenty targets last week and did jack squat with them. Um, Randall Cobb is a nice player, but he's definitely I think we can say at this point a complimentary receiver. Yeah, he's a wide receiver too. He is a possession guy. He can make things happen, but um, he's not going to win in the air. Uh, it, it really seems like he should be more open to me. And then Eddie Lacy has been super disappointing. So um, I I still believe Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football, um, no matter how good Tom Brady continues to be. Um, I just think he has an added element to his game uh, with his escapability and, and how he can extend plays. Um, he can't do it by himself. But they need to win. They need to win games to sort of quiet uh, and, and, you know, R-E-L-A-X, as Rodgers would say, but uh, he's not saying that right now. He's not going on Wisconsin radio and telling people not to freak out because um, they have every right to. And the Vikings, on the other hand, have a very interesting formula. They have a very uh, cold-weather team, mm -hmm. which looks really good. And at 7-2, and two, um, it's, kinda hard, it's very hard to imagine them not at least making the playoffs. Uh, but right now, they're looking at this thing, and they're saying... You know, let's get a first round bye. We do have a team that's really built for December, January, and they can get that game at home. They have a pretty darn good defense. I mean, if you watched the Raiders game last weekend, which I did, um, they just hit people. I mean, it looks like it, it. Not maybe the talent, but the way they fly around looks like the the Seahawks teams from a couple years ago when they were really at their peak. Probably you know the year they won the Super Bowl, say, or even the year before that, where they just have these young, energetic guys and like Harrison Smith. I mean, he's gonna hurt somebody or himself, but he does it all legally. He's he's not laying illegal hits. He's just laying beautiful football plays, and he is just like a lightning bolt moving around the field. And then they have the the best running back probably of, of this generation, Adrian Peterson. And, and, you know, he's quietly having another great, great year. And I think we've I think what we've seen is that Tiddy Bridgewater uh, doesn't have to be very good for them to win games. He just has to be sort of average. He has to be not bad. Not bad. And he's not bad. That's it, the thing. He it, doesn't look good, but he doesn't Dilfer look bad. Trent Dilfer for our generation? No, I, th I mean, I think his ceiling's definitely higher than Trent Dilfer. Um, but he doesn't have to worry about the ceiling right now. He just has to worry about the floor, and he has to just worry about uh, being consistent. They have found him some weapons, um, even though like the Cordero Patterson draft pick looks like a total dud, even though he had a really nice uh, kick return last week after dropping the ball, then picking it up and running it all the way back along the sideline. Um, Stefan Diggs has kind of come out of nowhere to be a beast, and then Mike Wallace, who's yeah. a, a bit of a forgotten man, um, under the radar after those kinda. those great years in Pittsburgh and, and the bad years in Miami. Yeah, a bit under the radar, but a, a reliable red zone type target. Kyle Rudolph is a good tight end. 
Um, Did so, they get Wallace as a trade or a free agent pickup? I know he hit from Miami. I'm pretty sure he got caught by Miami. I'm pretty yeah, sure I thought they so just too. So him. basically, they just picked him up off the, the scrappy. Yeah, it was some bargain bin shopping, Filene's basement style. Well done, Gus. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Mike Zimmer, I've been pretty impressed with him so far as head coach. I've never, ever, ever been impressed with Mike McCarthy uh, during his whole very, very successful run as Aaron Rodgers' co pilot. I mean, the they head coach. They went in spite of him, not because of him. And so yeah, I think this is a I think this is absolutely a true colors game for both teams. I think the Packers, um, I don't I don't think they need to win because I think with the quarterback they have um, and the defense that they should have, they should be able to run the table if they end up being a wild card in the playoffs. I don't I don't worry about them playing on the road or anything, but they need to at least get the offense going in this game. They need to score some points. And I mean I think you know it, it's a game that. I don't think we'll be super high scoring. I don't. I don't. I don't expect them to put up thirty. But um, if if they can get at least in the end zone a couple times, show the ability to capitalize in the red zone. Um, you know, as as long as they can hang with the Vikings, which sounds crazy, but I think that would be a bit of a mental victory for them. Obviously, you need a win uh, because you just lost three in a row. So you need a win more for your mental state maybe than for the standings. Um, but you know, I'm sure they still consider themselves. The, the division winners, um, and I have no doubt that um, that Rogers sort of will do everything in his power to get him there. Um, but I don't know if it's quite that easy. I don't know if it's just like bearing down and trying now because Minnesota has proved to be a worthy opponent. And um, yeah, so it's a big game for the pressure's kind of off for the Vikings. I think they are being chased by um, Green Bay. It is a home game, so that adds to the pressure a little bit. But even if you lose this, you guys are tied in the division. So um, definitely excited to see who shows their true colors in that game. I agree. Uh, here's a question for you. If you were from Green Bay's perspective, are you more concerned about a 9-7 victory or a 30-27 to loss? Um, I mean, the 9-7 the to victory, it depends on how it happened. Um, that's pretty concerning either way, um, but I think I'd be more concerned with the loss, you just simply because you trust Rodgers, unless he got hurt in one of those games, um, I think you'd rather just get into the playoffs as you know a team that wins its division, have that home game, and, and assume he'll figure it out then, um, than be happy that the offense is clicking, um, but lose a game and you know sort of decrease your chances at the playoffs. Because if they lose a game, they're six and four, um, and if you know, and it's pretty inevitable that one of the four and five teams will win. So if they lose, they're probably only one game clear of the playoffs, and that is just too close for comfort. Uh, I think I'd take the reverse. I think I'd I'd take the uh, the sign that Rodgers can get it done against anybody, with anybody, um, and losing the game in Minnesota isn't the end of the world. You, you'd probably be happy with a split in that home and home series. They play again, right? Yeah, last, last game, game of the, of the season. So you do have that last game in Lambeau. Um, I would... I mean, they have a tough schedule. Cause, but I would take the 27 points over the hmm. over the, the 9, assuming you kick a couple field goals. Yeah, not a touchdown safety situation. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would put them... That would put them two behind, and they would be... Um, pretty much up against the wall, uh, the Packers, they they don't have a super hard schedule, but 
Um, Vikings have Cardinals, Seahawks left. They have to go to Green Bay. So let's go on to the toilet bowl of the week. And boy, do we have one for you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there's not really much debate here. It's more just um, let's Ew. discuss the ways in which this is a superlative example of, of this segment. Yes. Um, so we have Tennessee at Jacksonville on Thursday. Oh, my God. Is this in <laughs> London? Are they playing this in Vanuatu? I mean... Yeah, for the, this being a London game is the only way this could be worse. What, like, sort of... What thing in the game... Like, I'm just thinking of, like, maybe um, the Titans bench Mariota and sign Brett Favre. I would watch start it if the game. actual Titans were playing actual Jaguars. Okay. I would watch it in that case. Um, would you watch it if... Mark Brunel. If Mark Brunel played receiver... <laughs> yes. Yes, I would. Would you watch it if Byron Leftwich had to eat an entire pizza during the course of each Jags drive? No, that's just terrifying. On the sideline. No? That no, scares me. Would you watch it if... I was in Pittsburgh during the Byron Leftwich years. Um, yeah, you don't want to get too close I mean, to between him. Between him and Roethlisberger on the sidelines, the, just the bellies were... They looked like an offensive line. Yeah, so what we realized is that there's there's a there's a non-zero chance that that no one except the players parents watch this game. And maybe not all of those. Either. Maybe not all of those. There is um, the Vampire Diaries. We are very very skeptical about their ability to draw viewers because they are going head to head with Thursday night TV uh, in which the Vampire Diaries like you said are on just a scintillating program uh, that that really captures the hearts and minds of America. And Will Elena choose Stefan or Damon? That's the other one. Oh wow, you actually watch it. I thought you were being facetious. Okay, uh, I am married. Uh huh. <laughs> it comes so on. You pull that excuse ripcord every time you can. Um, actually, it's Shavi's favorite show. Oh sure, yeah, those little fangs are coming in nicely. Um, they're also going head to head with the Warriors Clippers, which is always a fun NBA matchup. Um, you know, I don't think that. Uh, there's any way... I mean... Will the Warriors be undefeated by that point? Will Steph Curry score more points than the combined points of the Jags and Titans? Yes. Will Steph Curry have more assists than the combined points of the Jags and Titans? Possibly. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking we might get like a... Uh, a 10 to... See, I actually, I feel game. like this is a game where we might have... Like, it won't be quite that low scoring just because there will be some weird special teams or defense stuff. Like I would say, yeah, the points one could Curry roll up forty points? Yeah, yeah. No, the assists one. I would say it's somewhere between points and assists. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna say there's gonna be two non-offensive touchdowns in this game, mm. and that's gonna be more than the amount of offensive okay. touchdowns. The thing is, they're both so bad that uh, one of them's gonna. You know allow what I mean? Like, yeah, someone's just gonna get some branded. The game is sixty minutes. Unfortunately, this is a game they should just pull the court on at about halftime. If if things are clearly, if if anybody, they should just end this. If anybody gets a seven point lead, yeah, or oh, a nine point rule. lead, right? Just a nine point lead, mercy rule. Either way, save America. They they could just pop on like one of those classic NFL films afterwards, right? They could just put on an awesome Super Bowl. One alert I wouldn't mind is if there is um there's a decent chance that one of these two teams because the other one is so incredibly bad could score every way you can. We could mm. get like a safety, a field goal, a kickoff return, a, a passing touchdown. I'm not sure. Well, maybe not one of those, but 
Three deflections off somebody's helmet. And yeah, uh, a blocked field goal return. Yeah, I actually, you know, I think the Jags are going to stomp the Titans. I think the Jags actually are feeling themselves a little bit. Bortles has been getting incrementally better. I still think this is a terrible game, but I, I do think the Jags are at least like a half step better than the Titans. Um, and Thursday night, so that just adds another level of yuck onto it. Yeah, Thursday messes with it. I actually don't know if either of these teams run a bye that, that could make things interesting. But, oh, uh, good question. But also it doesn't really matter because this is a silly game. <laughs> and it is your Toilet Bowl of the Week. They yeah. are not on a bye. And it wasn't, there, there wasn't even a debate about this one. The Jaguars are coming off a one-game winning streak, so they're probably riding pretty high right now. It's true. They did beat the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, well, shitty toilet bowl, quaff the Raven. Uh, it's going to be all about Titans and Jags. Uh, if for any reason uh, anyone finds out that this game will be played uh, between giant mythical men and uh, beasts of the, the jungle, please send please us send a note. Know. Yeah, just, just let us know. Uh, we need to know that. Then ASAP. we'll watch. Then we'll watch. Uh, I mean, we could even run that with pay-per-view. Indeed. Uh, okay, so let's move on to uh, the sport that we tend to talk about least on this podcast. Um, Hyla. Yes. The ball moves fast. The analysis moves even faster. Yes, and it's done. Okay. And it's done. Yep. Um, so, no, in seriousness, we have... It's been a long time, a, a long national nightmare where the doors of the most august institution of sporting education have been, no, not closed, but, but dimmed by, by an absence of its founder. Um, we would like to welcome back, open for business, the Dusty Baker School of Management. And we are talking about Johnny B. Dusty Baker Jr., born June 15th in 1949, was a very talented baseball player in his own right, mm-hmm. um, and then had uh, some very successful uh, managing time. And it, it felt like uh, but, but the reason that this institute is named after him is he really, the, the times caught up with Dusty. Yeah. And he was a bit stuck in the past, and he failed to catch on to a lot of the developments that baseball underwent over the last 20 years. Should we call him slow to react? That would be what we call a euphemism. <laughs> but yes, we shall call him slow to react um, for, for fear of, of treading on too many other toes um, and offending anyone else. So Dusty Baker, you know, we, the, the academy is, is named in his honor. Um, and uh, the School of Management, if you will, um, part of the Baker, larger Baker Academy. It's a, it's a division of, of Phoenix University. Don't worry about it. Um, University of Phoenix. But he really embodied that sort of clueless leader that we love to see in sports because let's be honest if you're listening to this podcast if you are the other person in the room with me recording this podcast you can never in good faith look at something that happens during a pro game or even a college game on the weekend and say "Ugh, i would have caught that no because you wouldn't have because you wouldn't have put in the 15 years of intense practice because you wouldn't have run that 4-4 in the 40 to get drafted because you wouldn't have done all of that but when it comes to a simple, simple decision, like when to call a timeout or when to pull out a pitcher, this is when we project on these. And this is when we think we could make better decisions than the actual people being paid millions of dollars to make these calls. And 
Dusty Baker really em sort of embodies that frustration, and he actually got hired. Did you know that? He has really? a job now. I thought we, we were opening the chair for him. Nope. He, he, he... I have one crisp dollar bill ready for him. He graciously declined that to take many more crisp dollar bills from a franchise in turmoil. We're talking about the Washington Nationals, a.k.a. the Nats, which is spelled with a G. He's taking over for his old protege, uh, Matt Rubbing My Shoulder Williams. And Matt Rubbing Your Shoulder Williams got hired after getting fired... Uh, as Nats manager, he recently got hired to go back to the Diamondbacks to be their third base coach, which again further compounds the the baffling uh, sort of array of minds in that team. As we got Larusse over there and Matt Williams and just a, a whole ghost of Kirk Gibson, Bob Stewart, yeah, just just a whole mess of of grit. Um, but Dusty Baker's comes to the Nats, uh, one of the most talented teams in baseball. Sort of a consensus pick last year to win the NL East. Uh, the probably the most popular pick to win the World Series, or at least to come out of the National League. My pick, I'll admit it. With the pennant. Wrong. Um, they have the best player in baseball on their team, according to last year. They have some of the best starting pitching in the league, although they stand to potentially lose Jordan Zimmerman. Um, but they also have a wealth of young talent, led by young Anthony Rendon, who should be much better this year after a injury plague 2015. So in some ways, I mean... But Dusty Baker really couldn't come into a much better situation than this, could he? So many young arms to break. Except for that one incident with Jonathan Papelbon late in the year. <laughs> where if you've been living under a rock, or if you're just a baseball boycotter, you miss some great stuff because Jonathan Papelbon tried to choke out Bryce Harper in the dugout after Full Bryce didn't run out of pop-up. On Latrell Sprewell on him. So there's some stuff going on. We've got talent. We've got a, a slightly younger team, although there are veterans like Zimmerman and Worth. Um, maybe it's not fair to call them a younger team, but I feel like they kind of take on Harper's personality. The core is pretty young. The core is fairly young. Uh, they, they do stand to lose uh, Ian Desmond and Jordan Zimmerman, so a fair amount of talent this offseason. Desmond had a terrible year. He did. He did. And they have a, a nice young shortstop, Trey Turner, coming up behind him. Um, but... Dusty comes into a situation where basically if if he just helps the Nats sort of regress to the, the mean or, or progress to the mean, I guess you would say. Regress to 92 wins? They Right. They'll be very good. The Mets do not have a stranglehold on that division. So because there's such a clear path to success here, which is just do like do the Ned Yost, Dusty. Just meddle as little as possible. Let, let them play. Because it seems so easy to a successful path. We're going to talk about all the many pitfalls that will inevitably occur, leading to a super messy first year. Um, and so what we decided to do is create the Dusty Baker School of Management Washington Nationals bingo card, which we will be filling out throughout the year in which uh, we find any occurrences of the following situations we're about to discuss and see if we can't score a bingo. Yeah, it's we might both have bingos by May. We might. And so, as, as all of you uh, young people uh, not living in homes know, uh, bingo is played on a grid uh, that's five by five, and the center square is free. You get it. It's called free. Uh, so we're going to call the center square the free papple choke square. Um, and so everybody, <laughs> put a marker on your free papple choke square because you get that one on the house gratis. And Pat and I 
are going to try to come up with 24 other squares. We've mm -hmm. already got a few in mind. We, we probably won't get all 24. We, we encourage you to send in any thoughts. Just came up with another one. But uh, without any further ado, let's get going. What do you got for me? I got a Papelbon DFA. Oh, wow. Papelbon DFA. So that basically means, for all you non-baseball jargoners, uh, Papelbon getting cut, um, which would... Designated for assignment. Yeah, so I have one that is Papelbon uh, does not get traded. Wait, where do I have this? Um, no. Yeah, you definitely have that one. Uh, yeah, failing to trade Papelbon before the season. They basically stated that they need to get rid of this guy, but he does have a fair amount of money left on his deal. So, um, he also choked your MVP. He choked him. So this is actually interesting because this uh, sort of upper right to lower left diagonal could be interesting. In the in the lower left corner we have failed to trade Pat before the season so that may not get X'd out, but if it does then it makes the Papelbon DFA much more likely Yeah. Um, because they may just be forced with a decision where they have to eat money on him. Um, I think they'll be able to trade him because they'll probably be willing to eat the money anyway and just try to get even like a third tier prospect for him. But, but it's a good pair. So that could be fun. So sticking with that man, that sort of just horrifying human. Um, Which one? A Papelbon. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Well, maybe horrifying is a strong word, uh, given that there are much more horrifying humans out there. But he doesn't particularly sit high on my list of, of people to, to share a beer with. Um, so the Papelbon, uh, the next square I have related to him is a Papelbon lawsuit. Mm, um, one. This one isn't necessarily not specific. In theory, this could happen uh, after he leaves the team, but it, ideally, it's related in some way to the Nats. I was figuring he does have to sue the Nats, or does he have to sue whoever is his contract holder? I mean, I was hoping that someone would be suing him. Oh, that's possible. I feel like he does a lot of sue-worthy things. So you mean like Papa Bon in a bar somewhere in, Definitely. I don't know, Albuquerque? Definitely. Got like, it. right, like he comes down to spring training and just like just like beats some people up in a bar in, in Phoenix. Or yeah, something. I could see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what else you got for me? So let's do... Um, so... We know Dusty. We he loves his gritty veterans. So at some point in a trade to the Nationals, either in the offseason or possibly a trade deadline, in the justification coming out of Mr. Baker's mouth has to be the word grit, gritty, or playoff experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no question he needs grit. I would guess that signing will happen in the offseason, but if not, yeah, for sure at or the trade deadline. Both. Or both. Um, the next one I want to do, because this was one near and dear to my heart, um, I think one trend in a lot of major sports recently has been, well, mostly baseball, basketball, has been hiring uh, very well-known uh, former players uh, who are on the younger end, who played in the 90s maybe, who played, who are in the consciousness of the young players that are playing today, who, who sort of have some cachet. In baseball, this has happened to a slew of players um, in recent memory, you know, Ryan Sandberg, who forfeited his role as Phillies manager because that was too emotionally taxing, Robin Ventura, um, Brad Ausmus, Mike Matheny, the list goes on. And so this this bingo slot, this particular bingo slot, is going to be um, whenever there is a news story, and this will happen, I guarantee it, um, about Dusty Baker not getting, quote-unquote, his young players or not understanding them out of touch with the dugout out of touch exactly he's lost the clubhouse they are listening to music they're wearing their hats backwards and dusty uh, won't stand it and this becomes an issue 
um, versus a manager who is just kind of not going to worry about policing his players' actions and, and their sort of just ability to be uh, 2015 humans. 25-year-olds. 20, and 25-year-olds and 22-year-olds. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with Harper gets benched for not hustling. Oh. And you could just insert a day of the week after this because this will almost certainly happen at some point. I don't know. I mean... Or for not appearing to hustle. Mm, yeah. He this, might actually be going pretty fast. This one could... I mean, this one could actually lead to some stuff this year because yep. this was sort of the genesis of the Papelbon thing is that Papelbon was giving Harper shit for not hustling. Harper is still like 23 years old, but he's also clearly the best in the league. So this, this really is going to test the sort of, you know, seniority versus meritocracy sort of thing that baseball has going on and... and lo- different people land on different sides of this issue and i think um our assumption about dusty is that he lands on the seniority side of this issue but i think that will really be put to the test so like this may lead to him not getting the young players or this may lead to um who knows a lawsuit but you know where where dusty might screw up is if he wants to make a statement early in the year and he imposes his will on harper and everyone else on the team is like look dude this is bryce harper like you kind of just have to deal with that stuff a little bit if you want that production and i think that's has the potential uh to go pretty badly for dusty so that's a good choice right absolutely there. does uh though as a counterpoint the last time he he managed the best player in baseball uh barry bonds got his own like leather chair in the locker room mm-hmm. and did he, it, but at that time bonds was also a vet so well, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback too. off that reference, and I don't think you even knew you were giving me a segue. But one of these that I just wrote down a minute ago is uh, Dusty Baker compares Bryce Harper to Barry Bonds. Oh, that's gonna happen. Um, I think it's gonna happen. I think we're enough removed from Bonds that it doesn't feel disrespectful. I think if you did that the next year with like a young player, it'd be like, okay, well, obviously he's not Bonds, and obviously Harper is not Bonds, and and no one is. Um, but he's as close as we get in today's day and age, especially with... He will have just won an MVP, even though that isn't announced yet. He will have just won an MVP. He probably won the MVP uh, by a landslide, I would imagine. And not only that, but he's he's becoming incredibly patient. And that was one of the, that was one of the reasons yeah. his numbers were so good last year. He took his walks, he got selective, and when a pitch was in the strike zone, he sent it to the next planet over. He stopped fishing for those pitches below the zone. And he's got unbelievable contact abilities for someone that swings so hard. So I think that's actually an, not unreasonable comparison, um, and probably not the probably the least harmful of these things that Dusty Baker could do. But it's just worth putting in bingo anyway. Speaking of least harmful, let's flip that to mm. most harmful. Uh-huh. Let's go with a blown playoff game because of Grady Little syndrome. Mm. So can you explain Grady Little syndrome to some of our younger listeners out there? Some of our younger so back to back playoffs in two thousand two and two thousand three. A certain manager lost his team a critical game in the playoffs because he walked out, sees star pitcher late in the game, looked at him, well, yeah, you're good. Listened to his pitcher, left him out there, boom. And Grady Little uh, kind of unfairly gets this label because he uh, he let Pedro Martinez, newly minted Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of all time, uh, talk himself into staying in the game in the ninth inning of Game 7 in New York, in the ALCS. Um, and promptly, Aaron Boone, of all people, went and won the uh, won the pennant for the Yankees. Aaron Boone has a higher war, I think, as an analyst than as a player. 
He doesn't have bad wars in Adolescent. Yeah, I kind of yeah. like him. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. If anything, let's 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 take Little off the hook. I mean, this is now the Terry Collins syndrome. Yep. Um, and he didn't even have the stones to go tell Matt Harvey himself. He sent his his uh, pitching coach to go deliver the news, which I think is part of the reason why Harvey uh, was able to talk them out of that. So yeah. Um, I mean, some managers always do send out the pitching coach, but that's relatively rare, and it's also something that they always, always do. It's expected. It's not it's not seen as a little passive. Mm-hmm. When you normally walk out there yourself, um, for example, the Giants, Dave Rigetti is always the one who goes out there because he is the pitching coach, and he's actually been the pitching coach longer than their current manager, Bruce right. Bochy, has been the manager. So, so there are some situations like that. Do you want to go even further out on a limb and, and say, is this going to be Strasburg or Scherzer or Gonzalez or... Mm, Strasburg. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of Strasburg, there's another segue for you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so you take a pitcher out when he's tired. You take a pitcher out when he's no longer effective. Um, or you take a pitcher out when you're finished chewing on that toothpick in your mouth. Or that. Any arbitrary amount of reasons could lead you to that decision. And uh, uh, But another reason you take a pitcher out in today's day and age is when you think they've thrown too many pitches. And this is something that has uh, been a huge issue for over a decade now of, of when is a guy... Uh, thrown too many pitches. Uh, does simple pitch counting allow you to monitor health better than other methods? Obviously, the Nationals famously uh, shut down Strasburg uh, back in 2010, 2012? 12. 12. 12. Right, when uh, they had their best chance to win it all, uh, maybe ever, in the franchise. And they shut him down uh, to save his health. Uh, he has been sort of healthy, sort of not healthy. I don't think you can say that half of it was a win or a loss, but you can absolutely say that not having him in the playoffs was a loss. Um, they lost but, five games in the ninth inning to the St. Louis Cardinals. Fact. But, you know, I think any reasonable person would also say, sure, there, there is a point where you wear out pitchers. It's not necessarily at the magical round number of 100, but there is a point where you wear them out. So so one of the bingo things we have on here, which will inevitably lead to a shitstorm in the media, is uh, Strasburg throwing 130 or more pitches in one outing. Um, I think that that's a pretty high number. Like, a Scherzer would probably do that, and no one would blink. Uh, but just because of who Strasburg is, the surrounding uh, data about that, and of course, Dusty Baker's history... Uh, with the Cubs, Youngching, and Pryor, and Wood. Now, I want to be clear, I don't necessarily blame him for that situation. If you had Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood there, would you not have ridden them? Uh, they were incredible. They both broke. Uh, it's hard to say if they were going to break anyway. Sometimes pitchers just break no matter whether they throw one pitch or a thousand pitches. Um, but either way, there will be a lot of noise if Strasburg gets uh, to 130 pitches in an outing. So and I, then breaks. And then breaks. Or um, even if he doesn't break, there will still be noise. Yep, uh, so how many we got left? Uh, oh, of course, uh, there's also the possibility of Duster, Dusty winning Manager of the Year. Mm. Yep. Just just because of the fact that they were so underperforming this year, will be coming back with a very similar roster, which everyone thought was going to be great last year. Even if they're kind of average this year, they should still push 90 wins. And so people are going to look and go, hey, Dusty improved that team. What changed? Yeah. They got Dusty. Yep. Yeah. It's Dustiny people. <laughs> okay, I'm going to add that as a separate one because I think that is hilarious. And I'm, so I'm going to say, uh, you know, headline writer uses Dustiny at any point because it's a horribly amazing. Um, uses Dustiny. We've got that 
uh, in the upper middle square for those of you keeping score at home. Oh, we've got another really good headline one that you put. I'm going to let you go with that one, too. That one's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to roll into this. And I think this one has the most uh, chance. So this, this, there's two ways that this headline in my mind... Well, no. There's three ways in my mind this headline could uh, occur. One is a really meaningful uh, extra inning game where the Nats win in the 12th inning or the 13th inning. Um, the second is a long winning streak at any point uh, in the year that gets to either 12 or 13 games. Um, but I think the most likely is a hot start by the Nationals. So probably won't start the year on a 12 or 13 game winning streak, but maybe they go, you know, maybe they go 12 and 5 out of the gate, 13 and 7, some impressive start. And when they get that 12th or 13th win, some headline writer is going to reference a Baker's Dozen. Believe me, you, I know how these people operate. It'll happen. There's no pun low enough, ain't no mountain high enough uh, for them to misquote a song about or Baker's Dozen will appear. Yes, yes it will. <laughs> Absolutely. It might even happen if they score 12 runs. Oh yeah, good point. That's another, yep, that's for sure another option. on the roster? I mean, there's, the possibilities are endless. And there's too many men on the field? Wait, wrong sport. It's worth a try though. Yeah, definitely worth a try. So we've got two left. Um, I'm going to take uh, uh, Harper must act like a man. There will be some interview where that's either misquoted or not misquoted from Mr. Baker. So seeing as how the grizzled old manager can can teach the young buck how to act like a man. Mm. I like that. Yeah, this, this whole like prescriptive gender norms, what is masculinity in the 2015s, and who gives a shit how he acts if he hits 45 homers. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to add another one because um, we still have some squares open. Again, the, the phone lines are flooding in, but please continue uh, sending in your suggestions here. Um, and so this one, it, it's fun to have some of these that tie together. This one potentially uh, ties into this idea of Dusty not getting the younger players, potentially also ties into um, the no hustle thing. But I'm going to have a square for a players-only meeting. Ooh. Um, I, I think it's, you know, most of the times that, well, a publicized players-only meeting. Otherwise, how will we know about it? Most teams go through the year without needing one of these. Inevitably, there's some drama teams, the Red Sox, the Chicken and Beer Red Sox of a couple of years ago, um, who will have one of these at this this. And I and not only that, you know, what, I'm going to put a, a a bonus point, and it's going to be led by Jason Worth because he is, um, from everything I've heard, he's the sort of quote unquote consummate veteran in that clubhouse, and and sort of is credited actually with bringing some professionalism to that team which hadn't really had much um even though i don't know how that facial hair is considered professional but yeah watching baseball the last few years apparently that is the norm um so yeah i'm gonna say players only meeting bonus point if it's led by jason worth so there's another possible that just also leads me to at some point they pick up john lester john lackeys pick up one of the chicken and beer red Sox. Actually, like trade for, trade for, or pick up off the uh, like the waiver wire or whatever. Like they'd have to trade for Lackey um, or or Lester, but I think um, uh, Carl Crawford is a possibility. <laughs> I think their outfield might be a little full for that, but who knows? The Dodgers may get desperate and may just pay another team to take him as a bench yep. bat. So uh, okay, okay, I see that. Um, it would also be really good. On, uh, just seems to fit with Baker. Cole Hamels. Mm, so much grit. Yeah. Well, maybe Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Lee comes out of retirement. Cliff Lee. He's not retired. Isn't he? Did he retire? 
I, I thought he was retired. I thought he was, I thought he was just I don't officially know. hung him up. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. What a sad way to go out. He was so good. Yeah. Like, so infuriatingly good. Like, how is he so good, and why, and why did we just lose another game against him? Yeah. Oof. I remember um, first time I ever saw him in person, I was actually in Detroit. I saw Verlander Lee mm. uh, in 2009. Okay, I've got another one. Um, this is going to be Dusty Baker... Uh, moving Ryan Zimmerman to a totally new position. <laughs> Basically, the story with Zimmerman... Second base. Second base, why not? Like, he was, 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 past tense, an incredibly talented player. Was probably a top... Probably, I'd say, top 15 player in the big leagues, uh, you know, maybe five years ago. Fair enough. Was a very good defensive short uh, third baseman, if you, if you look at those numbers, but was a solid hitter as well. Has an ugly batting stance, but... He's never outstanding. Standing yeah, I mean, you know, he'd be like 25 homers, 30-something doubles, solid average, solid on base. But definitely a middle-of-the-order guy. Um, and since has had injuries, has had, I believe, mental things going on just in terms of the yips a little bit. He can't throw from third base, so they moved him to first. They tried him in the outfield. Um, I'm going to say Dusty swings him around some more. Um, Zimmerman to position X. Um, God, just keeping of so many players who I would love to see like Dusty Baker. Aubrey Huff just announced his unretirement. Oh, dude, there's your gritty player right <laughs> there. If you need a... Yeah, yeah pick him, and he'd be free. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, and guy. then our last one is, at least my last one, is established bullpen roles. Mm-hmm. So um, some headline about either they lose a game or about how Dusty is, is reaching down from on high and... and tapping young Drew Storen with the uh, the eighth inning role or the ninth inning role. And Dusty ha- has a, ha- always had a thing about very, very sort of, we think of them as traditional bullpen roles now. That, that was um, an invention of about 1990 onwards. That's the, the Tony La Russa thing. Uh, so, like, refusing to use his closer on the road in a tie game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, refusing to use his closer, closer in the eighth inning with the one-run lead and, like, the bases loaded and two outs and throwing out, I don't know, Tyler Clipper or somebody um, who could come back to Washington. Um, so that that definitely counts as a, a very dusty square. Okay, I like that a lot. Um, I want to throw one out there, which we sort of hit on, but as a separate item, which is uh, beat writer referencing... Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, in reference to Strasburg. Uh, this one is tied to that 130-pitch one, um, but could just be tied. I mean, it's going to be hard for someone to sort of avoid that, even in a preseason story. Yeah. So this this may be, and, and it's in a corner, which is good for everybody. That, that lends to three different angles, if you remember your bingo rules. Um, so, so look for that that one to be mentioned early, and but hopefully not often, um, as much as the Nats may be a team I don't love. I don't ever want to see an awesome dude like Strasburg not play because he's so fun well, to watch. If he ever rings up 20 strikeouts, it'll be referenced. At least. Well, yeah, that would be the positive way it's referenced. I don't, I'm I don't not expecting a negative. Yeah, I'm expecting a negative reference. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, we've only got a few squares left. Write us in. Send us a telegram from your Western Railroad depot or wherever you send those things from and you know i was really just thinking of like you're at the depot you just hopped off the train and you're like oh shit i gotta send something home to tell delilah that i just landed in you know yuma and i'm gonna i'm gonna here babe stop it's all good stop cactus uh, stop cactus just 
poked my butt. Stop. That's too many letters. You definitely don't have the money for that in this scenario as sort of an itinerant uh, or a migratory farmer, migrant farmer. I mean, you wouldn't be in Yuma if you had the money. Indeed. Uh, you'd be out on the 310 as soon as possible. Or maybe in s- the metropolis of, like, needles. <laughs> so we're looking for five ideas, ladies, gentlemen, infants, dogs, whoever. And infant dogs. And infant dogs. And dog-like infants. No. Nope. 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 None nope. of those. None, None of those. And so I think uh, that's about it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been relaxing. And it's been uh, sort of terrifying, if I can be honest. Yeah, it definitely has. Pretty scary. Um, there's some creature strapped to me that's, like, eating my finger. And, uh, yeah, ladies <laughs> As always, we are counterfactual sports where the facts are few and far between. Sports are everywhere. So far between. Yeah, sometimes they're underneath, buried in the middle. <laughs> buried under bonds. All right, y'all. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Later. Later. Allons enfants de la patrie. Jour de gloire est arrivé. Contre nous de la tyrannie. L'étendard sanglant est levé. Nos compas